So today's scripture reading is the account of Christ's resurrection that's given to us in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, beginning in verse 11. And the Apostle John tells us Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angel asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought it was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which in Hebrew means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go, go find my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we come to our prayer time this morning, and I'm sure you have as many prayer requests as as we have, and so I invite you while we're praying uh, to take this opportunity to lift up those things to the Lord uh, that are on your hearts. But let's pray together. Father God, we thank you today for this gathered church. We thank you for this hour of worship and all the renewal and the strength that it brings us uh, as we bow heads together in our common need and in our common faith, uh, taking this time, Lord, to give you public praise for all of the prayers that you've answered this week. And thanking you, Father, for uh, the holy privilege of bearing each other's burdens as we pray for those that we've named aloud. Father, through Jesus, you call us to come to you when we're weary and carrying heavy burdens, and you promise to give us rest. So, Lord, we come seeking that Sabbath rest for all of these burdens that have been lifted. And I ask, Lord, your grace today for the ones that haven't been said out loud, for the ones that haven't been spoken. Father, you know our needs, uh, even if we don't share them with others. Father, we pray not only for our own, but we pray for our nation. We ask you to continue to grant to our president, to our vice president, to our governor, uh, and to all in authority over us the wisdom and strength not only to know your will, but the courage to do it. Father, we pray for our doctors and nurses and all of our first responders, and particularly, Lord, for uh, Vincent and Drew who are serving right in this community. Uh, We pray for all those in the armed forces. We ask you to protect them, Lord, and give them strength and courage and patience for all the trials that they're facing in the midst of this plague. Uh, We ask, Father, you continue to uh, defend those among us who can't speak out for themselves, particularly the unborn and the elderly in nursing homes, for all those that are quarantined in this scary time. And we ask you, Lord, to send your spirit to touch hearts and open minds. And Lord, granted through your help me, Uh, This week we may live in this world according to your will and in the light of your word through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We, uh, as we approach the sermon this morning, I realized this week that I owe many of you a very heartfelt uh, apology for the things that I said at the Palm Sunday service two weeks ago or 
I don't know, maybe it was perhaps for the, the things that I failed to say, whichever the case, and I really hesitated to mention this until now, but as I was, as I was watching the playback of, of that week's message before I posted it to the internet and listening to the lead-up of the song for that day, as I, as I listened, I have to confess to you that I, uh, I fell completely asleep under the sound of my own voice uh, and was only able to be awakened an hour or two later when it was time to eat supper. And so, uh, so I apologize sincerely to all of you drivers that I subjected to that influence without the warning that the mere sound of my voice may cause drowsiness, uh, and then expected you to get behind the wheel of your vehicle unprepared. And so, uh, please take that into consideration before you leave today, and maybe, uh, maybe take a minute or two to sleep it off here in the parking lot before you start for home. But, uh, but nevertheless... This second Sunday of Easter that we're in, it builds on the surprising and happy and joyful good news that we celebrated last week. The good news that our Lord Jesus, who was once dead, is now alive. And it's really one of those times, one of those church seasons, as we discussed last week, that we, that we hold in tension. That tension between our understanding of the harsh realities of this present world, on the one hand, and the pure joy of Christ's resurrection on the other that fills our hearts so full of happiness, it's a wonder that we don't all just break out in laughter because of the revolutionary, the radical, the, the crazy kind of love that sent our innocent Lord Jesus to the cross for my sin. And not just to the cross, but that raised him to life again in the empty tomb of Easter. And we're going to be uh, looking at that holy juxtaposition again this morning in our psalm text psalm 90 as we consider the the passing nature of this reality that we're currently living in the the reality of tragedy and and terror and and of humanity's transgressions of god's holiness over and against the amazing grace and eternal promises made to us in the person and in the work of jesus christ and so again we're we're at psalm 90 i hope you join me there uh, and, and just while folks are, are looking it up in their own Bible, just by way of information, you know, this marks another milestone for us uh, in our look through the Psalms. This is the beginning of book four out of the five books that the overall Psalms are divided into. Uh, it is actually the oldest Psalm in the entire collection written by Moses around 1,400 years before the time of Jesus. And so uh, Moses writes to us this morning, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the universe, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust, and say, Return, all children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but yesterday when it's past, or as a, a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, they're like a dream, like grass that's renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. We are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we're dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath, we bring our years to end with a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. And they're soon gone and we fly away. 
Who considers the power of your anger and, and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O oh Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord for us today. Thanks be to God. Father God, as your uh, word has been read and your message about to be proclaimed, we ask you to open our hearts and open our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, that we may hear again with joy all that you would say to us today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I was thinking at first glance when you read that psalm, when you read Psalm 90, you almost have to, to laugh at least a little ironically, or, or maybe it's just me that has to laugh at myself anyway as I think of all of the, the stuff and, and nonsense that I worry and fret over and all the stuff that I think is so terribly important to, to stress and worry over, when all the while we read this morning that from God's perspective at least our frenetic lives must look like a tiny little tempest in a teapot during the 70 or 80 odd years of our existence, when you place them next to the majesty and the eternality of a God who we're told passes a thousand years as if it were just a long weekend. Uh, and that you and I do that sometimes in such a self-absorbed and, and self-interested way that we're kind of like that old joke about the blind woman who tells her boyfriend that she's seeing someone uh, and, and he can't decide whether that's either really terrible news or really good news. And maybe perhaps that's how Mary Magdalene must have felt. How she must have felt that first Easter morning in her uh, initial failure to see that it was the risen Jesus that she was talking to, failing to, to recognize that he was right within arm's length because she was too distracted by all of her own stuff, her, her own baggage. She was too distracted by her own worries and, and her own agenda that she didn't know how to take the news. She didn't know how to process all of this contradictory and, and dissonant information that was flooding her brain so that she mistook the Lord of glory for a humble gardener. And I mean, how's, how's that even possible? It's, it's almost laughable because remember, Mary had spent countless hours with Jesus. Uh, she had eaten with him and she had walked with him and, and she had talked with him and now uh, she goes out to give expression to the deep mourning that she's experiencing from the loss of his companionship and she doesn't see him standing right in front of her. And now don't mishear me, I, I'm not meaning to, to put Mary down here because, you know, remember that old saying goes, before you criticize someone, you have to walk a mile in their shoes, right? Because, you know, that way if, if they get mad, they'll be a mile away in barefoot. <laughs> but seriously. But brothers and sisters, uh, all kidding aside, our ardent prayer this morning should be that you and I never make Mary's same mistake. That we don't go on like Mary was doing, just going through the, the motions of a dead religion and 
blind devotion to empty rituals and, and seeking to prop up the decaying remains of our old way of life. No, brothers and sisters, beginning this morning, we need to stop seeking after the rotting corpses of all of those earthly things that we think we can't live without. The things that the Bible calls the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and, and the pride of life and instead look to have an encounter with the living Christ because he is the only one who can, in the words of our psalm text today in verse 12, teach us to number our days aright that we may get a heart of wisdom. You know, when I, I read that I mentioned to Vicki, it reminded me, this, this numbering our days aright, it reminded me of the story of a very dear friend of Vicki and me, a true story, really, of a girl named Carmen who worked for us about 10 years or so, uh, actually, one of the kindest people you'd ever want to meet, but who, even by her own admission, didn't have an elevator that always went to the top floor. Uh, anyway, she walked into the Department of Motor Vehicles office back in Pennsylvania, where we're from, to renew her driver's license. And, and she got in line. And when her turn came, the clerk that was going to be helping her was kind of a very stiff, very proper older lady. and. And they got started, and the, the DMV clerk asked for all of my friends' you know, personal information, her name and her address and her height and weight and hair color. And then the clerk looked up and asked, asked my friend in kind of a very formal way, on what day were you born? On what day were you born? Now, now most people would have just rattled off the answer to that question and moved on, but uh, not Carmen. She actually took the question literally. She actually thought, by the way, that the clerk had asked the question, that the clerk literally wanted to know on what day of the week my friend had been born. And so Carmen thought about it for a minute, and, and she said, Oh, I, I really don't know. Now, partially mystified and, and partially annoyed, the DMV clerk made kind of a clumsy attempt at rephrasing the question, and she said, well, when do you celebrate your birth? To which Carmen replied, oh, that's usually on a Sunday, because Sundays are the only day that all of my family has off from work, and we can be together for a party. <laughs> so, so now in total desperation, the DMV clerk stands up and says, miss, if you don't know your own date of birth, get out of my line and don't come back until you figure it out. To which Carmen replied, oh, you, you wanted to know my date of birth. Well, why didn't you just ask me that to begin with? <laughs> and, you know, we, we can laugh at that because it's, it's so unexpected. You, you would never in a million years expect to hear a conversation go like that one went. It's that, you know, that feeling when you're so sure that you know the right answer when you, you know what's supposed to happen and then, you know, wham, out of, out of nowhere comes the unexpected and you just break out and laugh. And that's not a bad thing because it's one of the ways that God has given us as a, a release valve. And, you know, I think if a, a good and healthy sense of humor is a gift from God, as surely it is, and if we're made in God's image, as definitely we are, I don't think that it's, it's wrong to assume that God himself has a good sense of humor because joy and laughter are mentioned all throughout the scriptures. Proverbs 17, 22 says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, 
In John 16, 33, Jesus said, Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Uh, and joy and laughter is not only mentioned all throughout the Scriptures, but it's, it's universal in world culture. Uh, it's universal because God has made us that way. He ingrained our DNA with a capacity for humor. Uh, and I firmly believe that when He came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, that He embodied that truth as well. Like, did you ever have a friend who was, who was the life of the party? You know, someone who just makes a good gathering into a great gathering just by them showing up? Someone who's so winsome and genial and fun to be with that you just love to spend time with them? Well, Jesus was that kind of person. The Scriptures attest to it. In fact, one of the greatest criticisms leveled against him was that he had too much fun. He was labeled a, a glutton and a drinker of wine, a friend of tax collectors and sinners and a partier. Our Jesus was completely at home attending festive events. He accepted an invitation to a wedding in Cana. And he's the one who restocked the wine when the host ran out. Remember in, in John 15, 11, he, he spoke of his own joy and, and he promised it to give it to his disciples and us, a, a lifetime supply of it. And in Mark chapter 2, he's the one who told the religious leaders that his disciples couldn't sit around fasting and putting on long faces while he was still present with them. And so, you know, it's no wonder that the, the stuffed shirt Pharisees and Sadducees who were only serious all the time plotted to have Jesus taken out of the picture because he couldn't be allowed to go on indefinitely standing everything that was important to them on its head and making their piety look ridiculous. They couldn't allow their carefully crafted man-made traditions to look laughable. And oh, how they hated Jesus' sermon illustrations because of that. You know, the ones that poked fun at their pride and, and at their pompousness, while at the same time told the, the everyday people exactly what the kingdom of God was like. You know, kind of like when Jesus talked about camels going through the eye of a needle and then teasing the religious leaders about the camel-sized sins that they swallowed so easily only to turn around and choke on a gnat. And worse yet, Jesus told stories about idle workers who were given full pay and Stewards who were successful cheats and prodigal sons being celebrated on their return home. And, and so these sad sack Pharisees stomp off in a huff and, and plot to make this merrymaker named Jesus disappear. Because they just didn't get him, did they? They didn't get him. But at the same time, the Bible tells us Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And he prayed at one point, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves so wise and clever and for revealing them to the children. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. Because God had the last laugh, didn't he? I mean, just, just picture it with me. Here's, in your mind, picture here's Caiaphas, the high priest, and all of his crowd, and, and Pilate, and, and King Herod, and all of theirs, sitting around smugly in this ridiculous state of grave and dignified self-congratulation over the the death of Jesus, thinking they've done their religious and civic duty by disposing once and for all of a man they considered a dangerous troublemaker. And, and with him, they assumed safely in the tomb and decorum restored, they can concentrate once more on the really serious matters to which their lives were dedicated. Lining their pockets with wealth and keeping themselves in power. 
But you see, behind their backs, without them having the slightest inkling of what was going on, their actions and their participation in the death of our Lord had a big hand in bringing about the very thing that they feared the most, and that's the triumph of Jesus Christ. And so now, the joke, as it were, is on them. And the disciples of Jesus, who were hiding out in fear and sadness, were about to receive a surprise guest that would put a smile on their faces and a happiness in their hearts that nothing in the world could ever wipe away. That's right, we read in, in John 20 that Sunday evening the disciples were behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders and suddenly Jesus was standing among them. Peace. Be still, he said. Folk, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Because brothers and sisters, when Jesus shows up, everything changes. When Jesus shows up, he brings peace and gladness with him. When Jesus shows up, he'll bring you a whole new perspective. And his people are filled with joy. And, and how could they not be? Right? His men had seen Jesus crucified. They knew Jesus' body had been placed in a tomb. They knew he had been wrapped in linen strips and a stone sealed over the grave. But now seeing Jesus, they realize that death is not the end. Death is not the end. And just imagine how they must have felt. Right? Put, put your place, yourself in their place for a minute. Imagine how they must have felt. You know, I think in his, uh, his book, Surprised by Joy, C.S. Lewis gives us a good description of the, the feeling and, and the emotion here that I'm getting at. He writes, it's the mind-blowing, heart-stopping, skin-prickling, love-filling joy of knowing in that instant a unity with God and with all creation and feeling the solid assurance that God is in charge and that Jesus is alive, surprising us with joy. And you know, that, that joy and holy laughter are really right at the heart of Easter, right? Like I said, when you imagine this, this, this is the resurrection appearance of Jesus we're talking about. Right? How would you react if someone you loved and lost to death suddenly appeared in the room? I mean, like, what do we uh, imagine the apostles of, of Jesus did? Just give him a, a blank stare and, and, and applaud politely? No. Th this is the most incredible comeback story of all time. Those disciples would have jumped for joy, and they would have hugged each other, and they probably even danced around a little bit. And I'll bet they laughed. I'll bet they laughed right out loud in joy and relief when Jesus appeared to them in that upper room. And you know, that's a feeling that uh, the early church fathers didn't want us to lose. They, they even had a name for it. They called it in, in Latin, Rhesus Piscalis. The Protestant Germans picked up that train of thought and they called it Osterlochen. But either way, it means the Easter laugh. Uh, and it's mentioned in the writings of, of great early church theologians like Augustine and Gregory of Nyssa and John Chrysostom and and that theme of the joy and laughter that the resurrection of Jesus inspired has been passed down through the ages. In the Reformation, Martin Luther wrote, God is not a God of sadness, but the God of this world, the devil is. Christ is God of joy. And it's pleasing to our dear God whenever one rejoices or laughs from the bottom of their hearts. And you see, recognizing as he and the 
The early church did that our worship should be characterized by gladness and by the joy of the Lord. And I'm so glad to know that we have that here in this church. At least I think we do. I've heard you guys laugh. But you know, seriously, I've never attended a church where I've laughed so much and had so much fun and at the same time seen the Spirit move among a group in such a mighty way. But you know, I think we can, we can go even further than that. I think we can have that kind of joy not just as a congregation, but in our personal lives too. Because I know, you know, in my own life, and I'm sure in yours, that it's sometimes a lot easier to be filled with joy and gladness when we're all here at, at church, whether we're, we're in the building or outside here, uh, when we're all together, and, and then start to lose that as you, you go about your weekly grind at home with your own private worries worries over the, the state of your life and the circumstances of the world and this deadly invisible virus all around us. Uh, worried because, as, as Psalm 90 said today, all of our days pass away under God's wrath and we bring our years to end with a sigh. They're soon gone and, and we fly away, but you know we don't have to feel like that. It doesn't, doesn't have to be that way. Uh, not because we have on rose-colored glasses, not because we don't care about the suffering of the world, not because we're immune to personal trials, but because Jesus sweeps them away with the wonderful, joyful promise of new life. A new life spiritually and physically because Christ has defeated the powers of evil that held us bondage. And in his victory, that last enemy of the human race, death, is defeated. Death is defeated, making Easter into God's supreme joke over the powers of death. Or as one author put it like this, we need not fear for the last enemy is now defeated. We need not deny that we're dying for now it's lost its threat to us. We need not deny that we're getting older for every day leads us closer to joining Christ in His victory. We need not cower before illness or pain anymore. The worst thing that could happen to us is that we should die. It closes by saying, so what? So what? So what if we die? If we die, we join Christ in eternity, in an eternity that's happier than this life. It's more fun than this life. It has more security. No tears. No sorrow. No crying. No nighttime. As Revelation 21.4 says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. And did you catch that last phrase? Because you know, when someone dies, we, we usually say uh, euphemistically they, they passed away, right? But when you get to the end of the Bible, to the, the conclusion of the story, the Apostle John tells us now that death has passed away. Death has passed away. And now we have hope. Hope that because He lives, we too will live. Because God has had the last laugh, and He always will. And so we have that confidence that we together can say in the words of Psalm 90 today, Lord, make us glad for as many days as You've afflicted us. Make us glad for as many years as we have seen evil. Lord, let Your saving work be shown to Your servants and Your glorious power to their children now and forever in the joy of of the empty tomb of Eastertide. Amen? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for the 
the joy and peace and wonder and happiness that you bring to us in the account of the resurrection uh, and all that our Lord has done. And so we thank you today. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for this promise of a new life. Thank you, Lord, for the promise that you lift up our hearts. Thank you for the promise that you hold us uh, close to you, Lord, and give us the freedom and the peace to know you, Father, through Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let's confess together what we believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So before I give you the, the benediction, I want to close kind of with where we started today tell you just quickly about a, a lady I heard about, a lady named Gladys who was attending church services one particular Sunday where the, uh, the sermon just seemed to go on and on forever till most of the congregation had fallen asleep. And, and after the service, to be social, she walked up to a sleepy-looking gentleman and in an attempt to revive him from his stupor, she extended her, her hand in greeting and said, Hello, I'm Gladys Dunn. To which the, the man replied, Lady, you're not the only one. <laughs> so if you're glad it's done it's time to go home uh, but receive the Lord's benediction and may the Lord bless you and keep you and may the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you and may the Lord lift up the light of his countenance and give you peace Amen